0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 331. Today's big Bible question, what sort of friendship can we have that is hostile to the Lord? Well, happy Lord's Day to you, friends. I'd like to shout out a few new listeners that have joined with us in the last few days. We've got new listeners in Sierra Leone, Africa, French Guyana, which is in South America, Istanbul, Turkey, New York, New York. Uh That person downloaded well over a 100 downloads in a day, so hey, enjoy that. Albany, Schenectady, New York, Twin Falls, Idaho, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And there are other new listeners that I don't n- know about, but I can only tell when somebody new subscribes if they download like tons and tons of episodes. Well... I'd like to invite all of you to join us on Facebook this Sunday at v b c Salinas That's our Facebook page for the church that I pastor in Salinas California that's v b c Salinas Victor Bravo Charlie. If you do join in, give us a shout out in the comments. Let us know you're there. I'd love to say hello. uh we will be having a time of outdoor worship and uh I'll be teaching on the parables of Jesus specifically the parable of the Good Samaritan. What can we learn from Jesus about loving our neighbor from this wonderful parable? And it'll be at 11 a.m. that we get into worship. Uh, that's 11 a.m. Pacific. So I hope you can join us on Facebook. Our Bible readings for this wonderful Lord's Day include First Chronicles 17, Jonah chapter 1, Luke chapter 6, and James chapter 4. Our focus for today is on James 4, and it is a challenging passage. I really think I would like to know James in real life. I feel like he would be as authentic as they come, because this is a guy that doesn't pull any punches or hold back at all in his writing. He's very plain spoken, very passionate, and he gets to the point in a very sharp sort of way. You probably knew where you stood with James, and honestly, I kind of value that in people. Uh, In today's Focus Passage, the Holy Spirit is going to challenge us greatly through the pen of James, calling us away from friendship with the world in the strongest possible terms. So let's read this passage with fresh ears and discern what the Word of God is saying to us. James chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people... Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded be miserable, mourn and wail, Let your and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Well, I- Before we dive into our main point, I do want to quote verse 11, because I honestly think most Christians are totally unaware that this verse is in the Bible, where James says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. And that's pretty stark. It's pretty simple. It's right up there in your face. We aren't allowed to criticize. So that's something to think about. Now, going deeper into our focus, I believe James 4 is one of the single most challenging chapters in the entire Bible to modern humans living in 2020. It seems over the last few years that so many churches have made a strong pivot towards embracing the ways of the world and the things of the world, and many Christians have done the same thing. Now, I need to tell you, I'm not one of those Christians that hates modernity, that hates modern music, finds modern television and video games empty, vapid, and distasteful. Rather, those things allure me and pull on my soul. In the same way that I'm quite tempted by Krispy Kreme donuts, Mike and Ike's candy, and pints of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, I am also quite tempted by the things of the world. Don't get me wrong. We're supposed to love the people of the world, and we are called to be in the world. But here, the Word of God draws a line for us. Friendship with the world and the things of the world is not allowed. Well, what does that mean for our lives? Well, I'm going to go to Martin Lloyd-Jones, the British pastor and medical doctor who actually reminds me a lot of James in that he doesn't pull his punches and he doesn't mince his words either. I'm not going to lie this passage from Dr. Lloyd-Jones is going to be challenging to us. It's going to be challenging to me, but I'm quoting it because I need to be challenged. And also because Lloyd-Jones brings so much challenging scripture uh, that are very similar to James 4 to bear on this topic, and you and I both need to be confronted with that kind of truth. So, Dr. Lloyd-Jones says this, Scripture of, is full of this doctrine. We've seen Paul's appeal to the Romans, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James says the same thing. Don't you know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. James 4.4 Could anything be plainer or clearer than that? asks Dr. Jones. Then let me remind you of the forcible words of first John two fifteen through seventeen love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust of the world. But he that does the will of God abides forever. This is a momentous statement. And we find John saying the exact same thing in chapter five of his same epistle. We know we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness or in the evil one. Obviously, therefore, the practical question for us is to know for certain that we are not of the world, and there are many ways in which that question may be answered. Certain specific distinctions are given, and I just want to call your attention to these basic points, says Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Take, for instance, how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You he has enlivened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is a most comprehensive definition of what it means to belong to the world. And so too is the statement above quoted from First John 2. So let us face the question in the light of these definitions. To be of the world can be summed up like this. It is life thought of and lived apart from God. In other words, what decides definitely and specifically whether you and I are of the world or not is not so much that we what we may do in particular as our fundamental attitude. It's an attitude towards everything, towards God, toward ourselves, and towards life in this world. And the last analysis, to be of the world, is to view all of these things apart from God. So let us get rid of the idea that worldliness just means going to the theater or the cinema. Do not think that if you do this or that, you are therefore a worldly person. It's not that, for there are many people who never do any of these things but who, according to the scripture, are thoroughly worldly-minded. Indeed, and this is a terrible thing, as I understand this definition, you can even subscribe to the Christian faith in an orthodox manner and still be of the world. If anybody disputes this, let me give you my authority at once. The word uttered by our Lord to those people who at the last day shall say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this and that and the other in your name? Depart from me. I never knew you. You do not belong. You have never belonged to me. He's quoting Matthew 25, 31 through 46 there. To belong to the world is a fundamental attitude, and we betray ourselves in our attitude by what we are in general and by the way in which that is manifested in various respects. To be of the world, and this is repeated by the apostles, means that we are governed by the mind and the outlook and the way of this world in which we live. Paul says in Ephesians 2.2 2, that we are governed by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he talks about the God of this world, and it is the essence of biblical teaching that this world and its worldly ways are under the dominion of Satan. According to this teaching, everybody who is of the world is governed and guided and dominated and controlled by that outlook which is opposed to God. And that is from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his book, The Assurance of Our Salvation, exploring the depth of Jesus's prayer for his own studies in John 17, which I highly recommend. So, dear friends, let us remember and walk in this exhortation from James and from Dr. Lloyd-Jones, remembering James one twenty seven, which we read a couple of days ago, when James says this to us, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world may we live and do that well let's continue in first chronicles chapter 17 verse 1 when david had settled into his palace he said to the prophet nathan look i'm living in a cedar house while the ark of the lord's covenant is under tent curtains so nathan told david do all that is in your mind for god is with you but that night the word of god came to nathan go to david my servant and say This is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. From the time I brought Israel out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have moved from one tent site to another and from one tabernacle location to another. In all my journeys throughout Israel, have I ever spoken a word to even one of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, asking, Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like of the greatest of on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to impress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will also subdue all of your enemies. Furthermore, I declare to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. When your time comes to be with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him, as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever. And his throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to David. Then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence, and said, "'Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far?' This was a little thing to you, God, for you have spoken about your servant's house in the distant future." You regard me as a man of distinction, Lord God. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? You know your servant, Lord. You have done this whole great thing, making known all of these great promises for the sake of your servant and according to your will. Lord, there is no one like you and there is no God beside you, as all we have heard confirms. And who is like your people Israel? God, you came to one nation on earth to redeem a people for yourself, to make a name for yourself through great and awesome works by driving out nations before your people you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people Israel, your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant in his house be confirmed forever and do as you have promised. Let your name be confirmed and magnified forever in the saying, The Lord of armies, the God of Israel, is God over Israel. May the house of your servant David be established before you. Since you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house, your servant has found courage to pray in your presence. Lord, you indeed are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. So now you have been pleased to bless your servant's house, that it may continue before you forever. For you, Lord, have blessed it, and it is blessed forever. Amen. Jonah, chapter one, verse one: The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, "Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me." Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind into the sea, and such great st- uh, such a great storm arose on the sea. That the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots, then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? And he answered them, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear, and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence, because he had told them, so they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased." Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Luke chapter 6, verse 1, on a Sabbath, Jesus passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him, but he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here, so he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose twelve of them whom he also named Apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus. And Simon called the zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. After coming down with him, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him to be healed of all their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor poor, Because the kingdom of God is yours, blessed are you who are hungry now, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also, and if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you accept back to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend. Expecting nothing in return, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher." Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the splinter out that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. Amen. Well, Lord, let us be the house that builds on the solid ground of your teaching and your word. Good day to you, friends. May it be a wonderful Lord's Day and Godspeed.